today on Ag News Daily. Definitely. I think consumers are always looking for just ways that they can, you know, kind of feel better about their impact on the earth. And, you know, we eat food at least three times a day. So that's a really great way for people to start kind of dipping their toe in and learning a little bit more about sustainability. Listeners, Friday, December 2nd, 2022, Tanner and Delaney here joining you on an episode brought to you by Mystic Lubricants. For a full look at their total line of products, visit mysticlubes.com, M-Y-S-T-I-K, lubes.com. Delaney, Friday, big weekend plans? I'm going to a uh, holiday market thing on Saturday. Other than that, no. A holiday market thing? Yeah, like um, it. there's a bus that takes you around to a bunch of different stores in a couple of central Iowa cities. So Huxley's one of the places we'll be hitting Tanner, as well as Marshalltown and I think Ankeny. Ah, so you're like holiday shopping and booze cruising all at the same time. <laughs> I don't know if they let you take booze on the bus. I haven't found that out. I suppose they probably wouldn't know if we were sitting in the back of the bus. That's right. I have been listening to a podcast that is talking about prohibition. I'm sure if they could sneak liquor around when it was illegal, you could sneak it onto a holiday shopping bus. That's true. That's interesting that that's what you're reading about, Tanner. Yeah. I I enjoy history. And uh, every day we make it, So every day there's more history to take in. But let's get into news here today so listeners don't have to worry about us bantering back and forth anymore. South America is set to have a heat wave as a system builds across Argentina, looking like it will start as early as this weekend. It, however, looks to be intensifying into next week. Much of Argentina's primary growing region will be dealing with this heat and even more dry conditions as those are expected to get a little bit worse. I had a conversation outside of this article last night, Delaney, saying that even though Argentina is dry, this uh, commodity broker felt like Brazil still may carry the weight for the lack of soybean production. But as this article continues to go, you know, periods of showers did go through Argentina recently, but it really hasn't been able to move them out of the drought status. They're anywhere from one to one-tenth of a percentile of the regular world, regular moisture received coming out of Argentina as of November 25th. So we're looking here that obviously didn't account for rain that fell last week, but it looks like some dry conditions uh, in that area. But when you come back stateside, Delaney, we are expected here in the Northern Plains to also be dry. And the Southern Plains dry as well, but we may have another cold front pushing through. But if you get clear to the north side, Canadian border, our friends in North Dakota and Minnesota could see some snowfall, potentially up to a couple of inches. So nothing too substantial and out of the norm for what would typically hit us here in the U.S. in December. Well, Tanner, we had some big news, um, two big pieces of news really yesterday afternoon. I'm sure we both have these stories pulled up. The first story, Tanner, is that the EPA did release their proposed biofuel blending requirements for the next couple of years. And this is a monumental release that they made here because 
what they did has never really been happened before in the past, Tanner. And essentially what happened that we saw yesterday is was considered a big win for farmers, corn growers, etc. But for 2023, EPA's proposal included an implied 15 billion gallons for conventional ethanol, which increases to 15.25 gallons for both 2024 and 2025. The EPA also followed through on proposing to restore the remaining 250 million gallons from a prior court decision for 2023. And for the first time ever, Tanner, the EPA gave credits for electric vehicles. The first time ever the agency proposes establishing some sort of RFS credits for these electric vehicles. And they also included a slight bump up in corn-based ethanol production, like I said there, as well as biodiesel production as well. That's the other one here that we typically gets a little overshadowed by ethanol, but biodiesel also got a pretty good win in this as well, Tanner. So all in all, sounds like ethanol groups are very excited by this. And this is, again, the first time that the burden of responsibility is placed directly on the EPA. Previously, we've seen Congress handling these things. And did they also stretch out and give forecasts out into 2025 for production requirements as well? Yes. So that's what I was saying, where they're going to increase it um, by 15.25 gallons here. Got it for the next couple of years. They also release some things on biomass, biodiesel, like I said, there and a couple others, but obviously ethanol is has been kind of the focal point for this. Oh, very good. Yes, thanks for reporting on that. I had glanced, I knew you were going to grab it, so I didn't read too far in depth. But I did look at the USDA's release on the 2022 farm income forecast. Despite having higher input prices this year, the USDA painted an overall positive picture for farmers and the farm income in 2022. The net farm income was forecasted at $160.5 billion. That is a 13.8% increase from 2021. This is obviously based on a forecast that was released on yesterday from the USDA's farm income division. They look at broad measures such as cash receipts, government payments, and input costs throughout the entire growing season and looking at those farm operations, producers who specialized in corn, soybeans, and cattle, as well as dabbled in dairy, are seeing stronger net cash receipts. Farmers who focused on hogs, wheat, cotton, and specialty crops did not generate as high of cash receipts as they did last year. So as we look across our listener base um, those that are in those industries obviously are experiencing two completely different financial positions. But overall, a much larger increase in income than I had expected to see when I dove into this report. Farm household incomes, commercial farm operations are now relying more on off-the-farm income to provide benefits for their families. That, however, was down 1.2% from 2021 when adjusted for inflation. So it looks like Delaney Maybe the off-the-farm household income went up. However, the costs of living went up higher. So that's the results from the USDA's report that came out on Thursday. Well, Tanner, I'm surprised you didn't take the time to share this other large story or big headline that happened yesterday, which is the Senate has officially voted to prevent any potential real strike. 
We saw, of course, the House vote earlier this week and yesterday afternoon, the Senate passed legislation to officially avert the rail strike. And the Senate voted on three separate bills related to the railroad contract negotiations. So the first one was that they approved the tentative agreement. They also voted on the Sullivan Cotton substitution amendment, which would have extended the negotiation period for 60 days. Uh, that one was not passed. And then they also voted to add those seven sick days that we also saw voted on in the House, and that measure did pass. So crisis averted, seven sick, sick days were added, and we saw the original PEB board um, recommendation for this move forward. So the, the one that the eight out of the 12 folks voted yes on is the resolution that passed, Tanner. Yes, and I I just want to make sure we grab some facts here. The article that I read, the second vote to add seven paid six days, sick days, needed 60 votes to pass and fell short at a 52 to 43 total vote is the reports that I had seen. But yes, I had wanted to stay save this article here for you to dive into, but wanted to at least make sure I was up to speed. It looks like that cooling off period failed 69 to 26 and the upholding the agreement, like you stated, in which eight of the 12 unions had already passed in September went through without really much opposition, 80 to 15. So uh, we will double check for you listeners to make sure we got our facts straight on the sick day vote. But yes, definitely Congress stepped in there. And I would say, Delaney, for me, that was a little faster than I had expected since the looming date was next Friday. Right. Uh, I didn't expect for them to get to it until next week. I agree. I, I was thinking the same. So let's take a break here for a message from our sponsor today before we come back with more news. Since 1922, Mystic Lubricants has been providing superior performance and protection for farmers who demand the most out of their equipment. Today, Mystic continues to develop products in real-world conditions that are specially formulated to meet the unique demands of your specialized machines. They provide advanced protection for engine longevity and are the choice of people who make a living working the land. Learn more about Mystic products at mysticlubes.com. That's M-Y-S-T-I-K lubes.com. Well, Delaney, when you look at beef packer margins, they are now at their largest losses since 2017. So the pendulum, according to this article, continues to swing towards cattle feeders. Cash prices jumped over $3 last week and left packers with their largest negative margin in nearly six years. The average cattle feeding margins were estimated at $155 per head for the producer. For the week that ended November 26th, according to the Sterling Beef Profit Tracker, those average margins were up $41 a head from the previous week. Beef packer margins are estimated at a $28 per head loss, and that is, again, the largest margin of deficit since January of 2017. That compares to packer profits of $488 per head the same week one year ago. So it looks like they're Delaney. The pendulum, as stated very cunningly in this article, uh, it has definitely swung back the producer's direction. Costs associated with finishing cattle have increased dramatically since April. Cattle sold last week carried a total feed cost of $597 per head, which is 23% higher 
than the cattle sold the same time one year ago. So it still costs the producer more to feed the cattle, but at least there are positive margins there for our listeners. Yeah, and I think that's always the big question you got to ask yourself at the end of the day, especially in the livestock industry. So good to see that they are making more per head there as well. But Tanner, one industry that may not be able to make as much if we don't so come to some sort of resolution is the corn producer industry. We're still seeing U.S. and Mexico trade negotiations come together to discuss the GMO ban on obviously GM corn and U.S. Trade Representative Catherine Tai met with Mexico's economy minister earlier this week and stressed that progress needs to be made to figure out what is the path forward here. They also talked about some energy and environmental impacts as well, because Mexico, just like every other country in the world, Tanner is having some of those issues that we see here in the United States and elsewhere. Um, But the United States and Mexico have been holding some talks to resolve the dispute over an energy policy, which I was not aware of. But the USTR in July demanded dispute settlement talks on the grounds that Mexico's president um, and his energy policies discriminated against U.S. companies and violated the USMCA pact. This is, of course, on top of the fact that we saw President, or excuse me, Secretary Vilsack also tote a legal reprimand if things were not come to an agreement here. But it appears that the U.S. is very actively sharing with Mexico that there are multiple fronts in which they are not following through on the USMCA agreement and upholding their end of the bargain when it comes to energy, environmental, and corn now as well, Tanner. Yeah, that is. It's and everything's being obviously displayed very publicly, so the entire two countries can understand what's at stake for that negotiation. Well, I've only got one little quick headline left, Delaney. So we'll pause one more here. Time for a message from our sponsor before we do that. Since 1922, Mystic Lubricants has been providing superior performance and protection for farmers who demand the most out of their equipment. Today, Mystic continues to develop products in real-world conditions that are specially formulated to meet the unique demands of your specialized machines. They provide advanced protection for engine longevity and are the choice of people who make a living working the land. Learn more about Mystic products at mysticlubes.com. That's M-Y-S-T-I-K lubes.com. I just had seen the headline that the drier trends are now in favor of those trying to harvest wheat in Australia. And uh, that hits home. We have a couple of friends of the Farm for Profit podcast that are down there participating in harvest right now. And a couple of, I'm going to say almost six weeks ago, most of the area and the region in which they're from was underwater from massive floodings. But it looks like they have dry conditions ahead of them after those early heavy rains and flooding delayed harvest. So it looks like Australian wheat harvest should continue on pace with some good dry conditions for them to wrap up their harvest. It'll be interesting to see Delanian reports post-harvest as to what the wheat production from Australia is and to see what type of effect that will have on the global wheat market. Awesome. I had not seen that there was some flooding taking place. So glad you caught that one there, Tanner. The last story that I have, though, it's really kind of just a quick headline here, but Rabobank has put together a new report 
based on where they see fertilizer prices headed for 2023. And according to their new report, they are expecting prices to decline as commodity markets continue to be historically strong. And a more stable fertilizer market is what they are anticipating here for 2023, which, Tanner, is still a little surprising considering what is happening still in Ukraine and Russia. But they said they expect things to settle somewhat, although it might be a little bit more regional than what we would otherwise expect to see. So the global market as a whole may not be super stable, but they do expect to see um, lower prices here in the United States, as well as more stability here for U.S. growers as well. There you go. Anytime we can throw some stability into things, I think a lot of the conversation right now about the future of the crude market to talk another one is it will be pretty volatile during 2023. But what do markets look like here on the commodities side, Delaney? As we head into opening markets here this morning, Tanner, we are seeing pretty much lower across the corn markets here. Soybeans are trading mixed and wheat is trading lower as well. March corn is down about four and a quarter cent. We'll open this morning at 6.56. January soybeans down a penny and a half in the January contract at 14.28. However, when you get out, Tanner, to old crop, or excuse me, new crop corn for 2023, that's where things start to shift to a more positive note. In the wheat pits, as I mentioned, they are trading lower this morning as well. KC hard red winter wheat is down 21 cents in the overnight and will open this morning at 8.69 and a quarter. Then when we take a look here over at the livestock markets, they are going to be opening also mixed this morning, February live cattle, We'll open at a buck fifty-five forty-two. January feeders will open this morning at a dollar eighty-one. And this February lean hogs had a good day yesterday, closed three dollars and eighty-five cents higher. We'll open this morning at eighty-nine twenty. Tanner, it sounds like today we are going to be taking a conversation that was recorded just prior to NAFB convention, talking with Grace Dennis of Quinn Snacks. Listeners, we're here today with Quinn Snacks. Grace Dennis of Quinn Snacks is the Sustainability and Sourcing Manager. Grace, thank you so much for joining us. Yeah, thanks so much for having me. Absolutely. So before we really jump into the meat of this interview, we haven't had Quinn on before. So can you just give us a little bit of an overview of what the company is and how they're different than other snack companies? Definitely. So Quinn was founded back in 2010 by our founder, Christy Lewis, um, just three days after her first son, Quinn, was born. Um, she really set out with the mission to reinvent her favorite childhood snacks and really, you know, look to clean up what kind of ingredients were in these products um, and, you know, bring something that could give her that nostalgia from her childhood, but um, kind of bring it into modern day uh, transparency. So when you talk about Quinn Snacks, what is the lineup of snacks that Quinn offers? Yeah, so we started out with um, microwave popcorn. Uh, we were the first to create a new um, patented Pure Pop microwave bag um, that had no plastic coatings, no you know metal susceptor, um, no synthetic chemicals. And then since then, we've moved into a line of gluten-free pretzels and filled pretzel nuggets. Um, and are, you know, always looking for kind of new innovations in that nostalgic snack era. 
And so we talked a little bit about in our pre-conversation and emailing back and forth, this new product announced the pop pop yourself popcorn kernels. And I know this has a big part in your sustainability mission. So can you tell us a little bit about this new venture? Definitely. So since the beginning, we've really worked directly with farmers to source our ingredients. Um, It all started with a farmer named Dave Vetter in Nebraska that Christy met really early on in the company and helped kind of shape the way that we think about food and the food system. Um, And we've been really excited to kind of expand that to more farms and farming families over the last 12 years. And more recently, we actually met the McCaskill family in southeastern Missouri. Um, And they, you know, they're a fifth generation family farm. Um, They grow all kinds of crops, including really delicious popcorn. Um, So once we met them, you know, we learned a little bit about their story and how they've been really pioneering kind of soil health practices in their area for the last about 30 years. Um, we knew it really just fit well with the Quinn brand um, and our kind of vision around transparency and pushing the the food system to be better. Um, and so that's where we came up with the idea of making these pop-at-home popcorn kernels with them. Um, they are also amazing and can actually pack the popcorn kernels on the farm for us. So it's been a really great project to work on with them because not only do we get to bring their amazing popcorn to the world, but we really help, you know, get to help kind of invest in this farming community that, um, you know, has really kind of struggled over the years. So um, it's been a really great project. Um, Steve and his son-in-laws and grandsons all work on the farm together. So we've really gotten to know kind of the whole family throughout the project and and have really enjoyed getting to tell their story. So when you discuss that you have the patent on a microwavable bag that's more sustainable and probably not a conversation a lot of our listeners expected us to have thinking of trying to be more sustainable in the sack, the snack network, do you get comments directly back from your consumers that they are looking for all areas of the food industry to be more sustainable? Definitely. I think consumers are always looking for just ways that they can, you know, kind of feel better about their impact on the earth. And, you know, we eat food at least three times a day. So that's a really great way for people to start kind of dipping their toe in and learning a little bit more about sustainability. Um, I also think there's so many parts of food that can lend itself to sustainability. You know, you can look at you know, farming practices and what's happening on the farm and, and where the ingredients are sourced. You can look at the packaging and, you know, where that's coming from and how that can be disposed of. Um, so I think food is a really amazing way for people to kind of get involved with sustainability. Um, it's, you know, it's something that I think consumers feel really good about when they can be involved in it. And this is one area that, you know, is a lot easier than getting an electric car or, you know, solar panels on your house. So it's something that is a lot more approachable to a lot more consumers. And a big theme on the Queen Snacks website is transparency, whether that be ingredients or where the food is coming from. So how have you seen your consumer trust go up with using family farms and talking about who you're sourcing your ingredients from? Yeah, I mean, transparency has been just so important to our consumers really from the beginning. Um, you know, when when Quinn was started 12 years ago, we were really kind of the only food brand talking about where our ingredients come from and, and how they're grown. And, um, you know, we were the only ones really to put all of our suppliers on our website. 
um, which seems like a really kind of straightforward thing to do, but, um, you know, even today isn't very common. Um, and it, it's something that we've gotten a lot of great positive feedback from our customers. They, they really want to know where their food's coming from, how it's grown, if there's a story that goes along with it. Um, you know, we've also been really transparent about suppliers that maybe don't fit our, um, model perfectly. So, you know, supply chains are complicated and sometimes you just got to work with whoever you can get the ingredient from at the time. Um, and we've always been super transparent about that. Like we'll tell you all of our suppliers, you know, everyone from our amazing superhero farmers that are great down to the ones that we're working to replace. Um, and I think, you know, consumers just like knowing that you're not hiding anything and that you're willing to share everything you know with them and, and you know that it's important to them and you know it aligns with their values. So um, it's something that that we've really stuck to over the years. This has been a really fun conversation to kind of learn about the company that you're working with, the snack world in itself. But if our listeners want to learn more or get more in depth or even explore options of ordering your products, how do they find you? Yeah, you can go um, straight to quinsnacks.com, learn all about the history of Quinn. We have some amazing videos on there with some of our farmers that you can check out. Um, you can see all of our suppliers and you can also order our products right on the website. You know, it's nice to save these conversations for our listeners because it was certainly one worth sharing. What a unique approach to the snack industry, which one might overlook. Absolutely. It's kind of a unique story. I know another guy actually that raises quote unquote snacks. He is a popcorn production that I don't know if we've had him, had him on the podcast Tanner, or not, but he's got an interesting story as well. Absolutely. Listeners, we know that you all have interesting stories, so don't be afraid to reach out to us. If you have a desire to be on the podcast, we'd love to talk with you. But for today and the weekend, what do you say? Should we let the listeners go? Let's let them go.